We were designed for deep and intimate connection, but far too often we find ourselves on relational autopilot. You want the marriage you dreamed of, not the marriage that you're settling for. Each week we share personal and professional stories, giving you tools and guidance, empowering you to restore and reimagine the marriage you always wanted. Welcome to the Thrive Marriage Podcast. Welcome back to Thrive. We're so glad to have you with us again this week. We are in the midst of a series on other loves. And if you haven't already taken our assessment, our polyamory assessment, we it's would big word polyamory. That word. I, I it's so provocative. It is. It's so provocative. So Go back and listen to episode one from this uh, second season if you haven't already so you will know what we're talking about and you can go to otherloves.net and take our polyamory assessment. And so for today, we're talking about the other love of soothing, which is the counter to the desire for comfort. So when I think about the desire for comfort, Chris, my first thoughts go to when my kids were little. And I think about what they, what they needed, their desire for comfort, which was just like a basic human need. Well, which it's a God given desire, right? These are just innate in our children. And when they're tiny, it's, they just need physical comforting. It's so much of just holding them and rocking them and feeding them and attending to them when they got some kind of distress or they're distraught, they're dysregulated. As they grow though, it changes and, and they start to need the very things that we need today as adults, but it's more, are we responding with empathy? Can I listen? Can I validate? Do I have compassion? And I start to think about what I know was true for me. And I don't think I was a bad mom. I think I was a pretty typical mom, but you know, when their happy meal toy has been crushed and consumed by the lawnmower or a Barbie head has been broken off or uh, a Lego castle has been been crushed by a sister. And it's the third or fourth time that day that it's happened. I know, I remember that often my response was, you're fine. Why'd you do that to one of them? (laughs) And you're fine to the other one. The other one, like we're all okay. And, and looking back, I, I so wish that instead I would have had more like capacity to attune and care and scoop them up because when you're four or five, that happy meal toy is your world. I mean, it went everywhere with you and the hours spent on the Lego house. And so I think a lot of us can probably find those stories back in our childhood. And there certainly are far worse examples more serious, right? Of a failure to provide comfort that you may have experienced. And I think what you're saying is that the desire for comfort, A, is Mm God-given. It is something that is normal and natural. Uh, And it it comes out of a real need to be comforted by someone else. And the, the formation of this, what we're talking about with these other loves is when those needs are not met by our primary caregiver, when we're young, right. Or a court 
over the course of time, then something else begins to happen. I was in a, a small group once where there was a gal who was telling us, telling some of her story and, and she spoke about at a time in her life where uh, her parents had gotten divorced and she found herself living with her dad because the circumstances had been particularly terrible around her mom and what was going on with her mom. And she would go and get the Oreos out of the pantry and she would sit in the closet and eat Oreos mm-hmm. at night. And she went on to talk about what that was met with uh, shaming, discipline, right? And so why are you doing this? You're sneaking, you're lying. We don't have a lot of money. Those Oreos were meant for everybody. You've eaten all of them. But when, you know, what she's needing is, is someone ideally like her dad to enter in and see that she is distraught and she is distressed and she's in need of someone to say, how are you? Like, this must be hard. Listen, offer empathy. Yeah, um, and that's what we're saying is the comfort is someone to offer comfort. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a perfect example. So if that's the desire for comfort, for someone to tune in and ask those questions and offer both the scoop up into the arms, but then also this recognition of like, how are you? That is right. The, the other love that comes into play is the love of soothing. And so as this little girl is finding herself in the closet, she's having to comfort herself. Mm-hmm. And now what we said is that it moves from a person who's offering comfort to a thing that is offering soothing. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like this thing is this replacement of the person. Now the Oreos are offering some level, and, and here's the thing, is that the sweetness, the taste, the physical experience of eating those Oreos is actually good. It actually does something physiologically to calm her down and find some place to, to focus. Well, there's that momentary, right, release of pleasure chemicals. Right. It works. Right, in the brain, the sugar. <laughs> like they do what they're meant to do. It could be so many things. It, it could be, as we grow older, it's one drink takes the edge off two drinks really Mm -hmm. seems to relax me three drinks and my problems are gone. Right. right? But it could be exercise or gaming, or it could be any number of things, but I think what you just named and, and why that maybe that example of the little girl in her closet is so perfect is that it is absent of presence. It is absent of withness. And that is the hijacking of the desire for comfort because that little girl grows up into a young woman or that little boy grows up into a young man. And all of a sudden the comfort no longer is a movement towards presence. It is a movement towards whatever object we've now know or process we've now attached to. And I mean, Tracy, I can't tell you, and you work with people too. I work with people a ton and I can't tell you how many times in the work with men that I, that I do, but also women where the movement towards pornography is not about sex. It's about, it's about this very thing that somehow 
it showed up in the little child's world and the child was in distress in some level or needed some level of comfort. And that process offered the soothing, the pseudo connection, the physiological reactions of, you know, the chemical responses to needing that, that comfort. Pornography then started to offer that and it became the thing that was the soothing presence. And whether it's porn or gambling or working out or food or shopping or any process can take this. It's, it's the hijacking of the actual presence of another person and replacing that person who could potentially offer comfort. Well, and because we know that these things are, they're, they're birthed out of absence in your childhood, the, the way that your brain begins firing Mm-hmm. creates these pathways that become automatic. Right. And so, so what we were faced then with, with adults and in our adult life is that this isn't an easy change for us. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't happen easily. There has to be some intentionality. And I think when we're talking, it feels like, well, gosh, obviously you choose a person. I mean, so it would be, it's so easy. I'm offering comfort to my spouse. Right. Let's unpack that a little bit then, because that's an important thing. So here we are, these childhood patterns get formed and they may be completely, we might be completely unaware of what they are as we enter into marriage. And so all of a sudden we enter into marriage and, and there is another lover that our spouse is competing for unbeknownst to them, right? I'm competing for to offer you comfort and yet your lover is your food or your lover is your porn or your lover is your shopping. And so I'm competing with that now. And that's, that's confusing. And what you just said is, of course, I want to choose a person, but we don't because these things are in place. These pathways are in place. Yeah. And so I think, again, there are a couple of things that I've noticed as I sit with clients is for some people, there's just not even an awareness that they're not choosing their spouse. There's a lack of awareness around the disconnection that they live in because they've lived in it for so long. It feels like they're normal. And then I think for, for some others, there is some level of awareness, but it comes with fe- with these feelings of sort of trepidation, maybe even like a, an inadequacy. Like I, I don't even know, I, I wouldn't know how to get that. I wouldn't, it it feels awkward and uncomfortable. And then there's almost like a feeling of shame that I, that you can feel about how uncomfortable you feel with with feeling connected and having comfort from your spouse. I mean, you can just hear the, like the viciousness in this, how evil it tends to keep us living in something other than what God intended for us and intended for our marriage. Yes. So when it comes to movement in this area and growth in this area, I think what you just named was we first have to become aware. Mm-hmm. We first have to become aware that we are, when, when we are in some level of distress, and that can be anxiety, that can be stress, that can be living in a COVID world, that could be job, that could be children, any kind of distress. Where are we going for comfort? I think I would, to point back to the assessment, I think that some of the value in the assessment that we're offering is that while we're helping you do the work of, of 
raising that awareness so that then you can start to have your own curiosity about maybe some of these behaviors that just feel normal. And so I think that awareness and then that curiosity is probably the first step. And I think the assessment too is also bringing awareness, not only to you, but to your spouse. Right. Because they are probably aware. They are probably aware that when something distressful is happening, you go to your phone or you leave the house and go for a run rather than you come to them for connection and comfort. So they're, they're aware of it, but this like brings it into the in-between between the two of you to begin to talk about it. And one of the things I think important too is awareness, being aware of it, there is the potential of raising shame. Well, and Chris, I think what, what I think is important for us to name also is that with all of these behaviors, if you're not, if, if you are just really like checked out, like very hijacked and very unaware, you may not be noticing this, but, but for sure with all of these choices, there is the experience after the initial relief that comes from the soothing, you are also at some level experiencing either some humiliation, some shame or some guilt. And so we could go do a whole series on that, but we'll just suffice it to say that those things are there. And when shame and guilt and humiliation are present, they work to create this connection. Mm-hmm. So when we start talking about how do you, how do spouses come back together? How do you turn from your behavior and kind of turn your face back towards your spouse? And, and as a spouse, how do you, keep your face turned towards the one that you love. Like you, you are up against some powerful emotions and dynamics. Powerful in, and I want to put it into the, like the powerful in the sense of like magnetism and right. you can either be repelling, powerfully mm-hmm. repelling or powerfully attractive. Right. Because the, and, and that's the next step that I would say after becoming aware of these things, as you become aware, if you have mentality towards these were things that were formed up in broken places from my childhood that I brought into marriage. If I can approach myself and my spouse, now that I'm aware, if I can, if I can have a level of compassion towards one another in these spaces, then it is a powerful magnetism towards the other person Mm -hmm. rather than a, a repelling. If I'm married to that now woman who was the girl in the closet with the Oreos, and I'm aware of that, and we're talking about now her soothing processes of going to food when she's in distress, I can have huge compassion towards her and a recognition of, oh, like, I am so sorry that you had to, to go through that and both hide yourself in the closet and find something else to be comforted by. Not to mention the shame and the, the guilt that then was heaped upon you in that moment. Like I can have compassion towards that little person inside my spouse. Then it actually brings us into a whole other conversation that is, that is transforming those old neuro pathways of going towards food to, oh, there might actually be comfort offered it, offered here. I think part of what, what comes up for me is, as we say that, that is absolutely true. And depending on how 
how hijacking the behaviors have become the cost to the spouse. I mean, the cost to both of you is so high, but to be the spouse who is trying to reach someone who has been hijacked by food or alcohol or exercise or pornography, whatever it is, there's a cost to you in that. And the greater the hijacking, the greater your sense of betrayal is because they've chosen someone other than you. And that's that breaking of that commitment Mm -hmm. to be one. And so I just want to acknowledge that too, that it may feel really hard. So to have compassion and, and to have empathy, to, to have a willingness to see beyond the behavior to the story that goes right with all of that. I think we, we come back to this all the time in the, in the end, all of these things end up being a lens to expose where you are in your own relationship with God, because the only way you're not going to be able to turn towards your spouse, you're not going to be able to, to have compassion along with your own feelings of betrayal with, without, leaning in somewhere to your relationship with the Lord. That's so good. That's so good. And I think even as we have compassion and offer comfort, even the scriptures say that we are comforted because we have been comforted. And if we are able to receive that from God, can we offer that to another? And well, and because this is very ambivalent space, right? I love my spouse and I hate my spouse, right? Because I hate this behavior. And so when we talk about the hijacking that's happening. It's, it really is. We're saying the love of soothing, but really it's a hijacking of both desire and love. So I think to summarize today, as we talk about this desire for comfort and the love of soothing, the desire for comfort is something that has been given by God to each one of us to seek and pursue in relationship with another person. And when that doesn't happen, we find ways to soothe ourselves or processes that will soothe us and make us feel a pseudo comfort, which is what we're calling soothing. And then we bring that into our marriages and that, that soothing is another lover that gets in the way of our relationship. There's this now third party, this third thing that is in our relationship. And as a spouse who can recognize my spouse has a love of something else, that there is another lover and they go to these other, as we've named, exercise porn, phones, scrolling, whatever it is, we can bring some level of judgment against that. We can bring, we can heap, as has happened in the past, heap shame on that. I am sitting right here on the couch. Why are you not paying attention to me? Right. Or I am offering you a healthy sexual relationship. Why are you going to porn? We can judge them and, and actually genuinely feel that genuinely feel that betrayal. So I don't want to diminish the level of betrayal, but what we're trying to do is both raise awareness of what these other lovers are and invite people to a level of understanding and compassion for the story behind the behavior. Yeah. And for the, yeah, for the child that lived that story. And so if you're the spouse that's been hijacked, then I think to jump to this place where you have this desire for comfort, that may feel like that, that is too big. It's too big of a jump, but could you begin 
by raising your awareness, risking some curiosity. And then I think I, I would just ask you to consider like, what would it be like to let yourself want something more than humiliation and shame and guilt? Are you worthy of more than humiliation and shame and guilt? And, and to start to maybe, maybe grapple with that a little bit. And, and that might open the door to being able to receive some comfort if that you're worthy, you are worthy of more than humiliation and shame and guilt. And if you're the spouse who's wanting to offer mm -hmm. that comfort and has come up against this other lover that's in the way, I would have that same pathway of awareness to be aware that there's this, it's not about the drinking. It's not about the exercise. It's not about the phone. It's about something far deeper. And so once we acknowledge this awareness of soothing, then let's have that, let's risk some curiosity as well, uh, that there's something behind this. There's the historical long-term pathway that's been developed that's taken our spouse and hijacked our spouse into it, into that soothing place. And then like, what would it be like for you to step into some, some kindness in that and offer that kindness? And I love what we said a little while ago, and it will cost you. Right. And it will cost you mm -hmm. because comfort always costs. We could say a lot more, as we've said. So we're going to continue on next week and jump into the next hijacked desire, the next other love. So stay tuned and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us today on the Thrive Marriage Podcast. We hope that you are enjoying what you're hearing and would love for you to leave a review in Apple Podcasts if you do. As a reminder, you can go to otherloves.net to take the polyamory assessment and you'll immediately receive your results in an email along with different questions to ask yourself and your spouse. I don't know if you knew, but the Thrive Marriage Podcast is a part of the Thrive Marriage Lab, which is a monthly marriage membership community where couples are gathering each week for new content to help their marriages thrive. We only open up the lab once a year and it is opening again at the end of March. So make sure you go to RestoryLabs.com slash thrive to join the waitlist to be the first to know of when we're open again. Restory Labs is a digital laboratory of restoration counseling and you can find out more about us in the show notes. And we'll see you same time, same place next week.